Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder. You know, she is really gonna walk us through her journey as a founder, you know, building, scaling, financing, all of that good stuff that we like to hear. We're gonna be talking about building a category in addition to building a company, raising capital as a woman. And then also what it's like to be a social entrepreneur with impact. Obviously, you know, like while building a company, you also go through the personal journey too and blending both and how you maintain that balance. So that's some of the things that we're going to be touching on as well. But without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Lindsay Yuris Rosner. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandra. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So originally born in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Yeah, life was life was good. I um, Yeah, I was born in Philadelphia. I lived in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia with my mom. Um, and my stepdad, my parents got divorced when I was a young kid, around four or five years old. And so, um, I kind of grew up by coastal. I was, um, in Philadelphia with my mom and stepdad during the year and then did holidays and summers with my dad in Seattle, Washington. So, um, I earned some frequent flyer status at a very young age. <laughs> so. And I, and, and I guess, you know, one thing that is very interesting is, the uncertainties that you go through to uh, growing up. I mean, I'm also the the son of divorced parents, so obviously that that helps you. You know, even though it's tough to deal with, you know, those uncertainties they really build you up as a person. And obviously, you've dealt with with many uncertainties too. You know that you have uncovered. Uh, you know, with family and situations. So I guess, how would you say that that has built you as a person? Yeah, I think it, I think it was definitely formative, you know, um, to your point, going through a divorce and having parents on different coasts. And then, you know, later when my mom got diagnosed with, um, with multiple sclerosis MS, you know, I do think part of kind of going through some hardship, you know, whatever that looks like in your younger years, I do think it helps with grit and resilience, um, you know, and wanting to, you know, prove myself and make my parents proud and, you know, has kind of a different, yeah, different impact, right? Than maybe if you um, have a little bit more of a kind of stable or reliable kind of upbringing. Absolutely. Now, out of all things, you decided to go to Columbia and study economics. You know, what, what, what really got you into numbers and, and also the business side of things? Yeah. Well, I got very focused on wanting to go to a college in a big city. (laughs) So um, I'm a big city girl. And so it was New York or, um, you know, Philadelphia, you know, I liked LA. So I looked at UCLA. So I really liked the big city kind of aspect. So yeah, I I loved my time at Columbia, got into studying economics, more so kind of for a general business um, understanding. You know, I just, in my early career, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. I didn't know what, um, my, you know, my career would, would lead to and kind of wanted just a general understanding of business to be able to kind of go in whatever direction life took me. And now marketing obviously has been a, a, a repeated pattern, you know, that you have done, 
in multiple companies such as Microsoft. So yeah. that's pretty amazing to be able to also see how super successful big companies operate because obviously this is different than the type of company that you're running today, which hopefully one day will get there. But uh, but how do you think that that gives you perspective to as an entrepreneur when you are like working in such a massive business and then you reverse back engineer to starting from nothing? Yeah. Well, I, I love I love being out in front of our business. I love the marketing components and the sales components. It's a lot of what I've done in my career. And um, I think it's some of the most exciting work within a startup, you know, to be able to, you know, solve problems for clients and be able to articulate what those problems are and how the business can solve them um, to help think about how to get the word out there about the company and how to impact more and more people. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of where I love spending my time. So yeah, that's definitely been a through line through my career and definitely a lot of what I end up getting joy from in my day-to-day work, um, now here at Wealthy running, running the company. And obviously Wealthy too is a, the inspiration really comes from what you endured, you know, and the family, you know, by the diagnosis of your mother with MS, as you were, uh, pointing to earlier, I mean, you were literally living a double life um, because you were taking care of her. So I guess walk us through, you know, that journey too. I'm sure it was not easy for you, but then also how it triggered, you know, the idea for what it would end up being wealthy. Yeah. I mean, my mom, I mentioned in to your point, I, my mom got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was um, nine and and what that meant for her was that she started to lose some mobility. So started to walk with a cane and, and walk with a walker. And, um, I just really, I loved my mom. I mean, I guess most people do, but I was very, very close with my mom and, um, hated, hated seeing her struggling and, and suffering. And so as a kid, you know, just was wanting to help out more probably than most kids around the house. And, you know, helped her, helped her even, you know, a little bit with kind of her, her, you know, her care needs. And then, yeah. And then after college, I moved home to, to live with her and take care of her because her mobility had really declined and she just needed a lot more help doing just basic day-to-day things. And so, um, yeah, in my twenties, I lived at home and I would get my mom up in the morning and help her with breakfast and help her get dressed. And then I'd go into the office and slip home throughout the day to help her and help her in the evenings. And I did that for years. And to your point, it was this kind of secret double life. You know, it's not really cool or sexy to tell your friends or colleagues that you're taking care of a parent. You know, it's different than talking about going to a kid's soccer game on the weekend, right? It just doesn't kind of come up as easily. And so it wasn't really something I shared with people, but it was incredibly challenging. It was so stressful and so overwhelming. And my mom's care needs continued to evolve. And I just was never quite sure if I was doing the right thing or doing enough. Um, and certainly kind of affording care and, and accessing care was challenging. And so, um, yeah, it was many, many years of taking care of my mom in this kind of secret double life. And then it was actually a moment when I was in business school uh, when my mom needed a special, she was hospitalized, needed a special procedure, and it happened to fall when I had finals. And so I was going to miss my finals. And so I went around to my teachers and my peers and my colleagues, my friends, and told them that I was going to miss, they were going to notice. I was going to miss finals. My mom was sick. She's actually been sick for a while. She has a mess. And it was this profound moment of connection. You know, these 
people who I'd known, who I'd known, who shared with me that they were taking care of a loved one. You know, a professor who takes care of their parent who has dementia and drives home two hours every weekend to help with groceries and uh, cleaning around the house. You know, a learning um, team member of mine whose mom also has a mass. And we had never, we spent every morning together and never talked about the fact that both of us uh, had parents with MS. And so what I realized in that moment was just how big of an issue caregiving is and how nobody talks about it and how we don't have any support or infrastructure. Um, and this is a growing problem. And so I got very obsessed with this as something that I wanted to try to solve for, for families like mine. So at what point do you decide to take action? So I actually, when I graduated from business school, I was very um, inspired to do something, uh, but I didn't have the nerve <laughs> to, I was working at Microsoft. I didn't have the nerve to quit. I didn't think I was ready to be a CEO and founder, but I bought the domain name wealthy.com in 2009. So yeah, like six years before I started working on the company. Um, so it took me six years of getting up the nerve and finally quitting my job and deciding to go off and do it. Um, and I certainly do maybe wish that I had done it earlier, but everything happens for a reason. So it was the right timing for us. Um, but yeah, I knew it was this company, this solution, this problem was inside me. I was living it and I was totally obsessed with solving it. So why six years later? I mean, obviously, you you already had this brewing. You even, you know, bought the domain, as you were saying. What do you think was that push that you needed to uh, to get going? You know, Alejandro, not to make this kind of a gender-related thing, but I do actually see this pattern more so with women than men, where women don't feel like we're ready for things. You know, we see that, you know, women, I've, given women promotions at the company where they say, I don't know if I'm ready for the job. Men, and this is overly generalizing, right? We see women who are different than this, men who are maybe more hesitant. But, you know, just to overly generalize, you know, I think for whatever reason, I felt like I needed preparation. And so I went about preparing to start wealthy. So I went to work for this serial successful entrepreneur in New York City, this guy named Dave Morgan, amazing man, mentor of mine. And because I felt like I needed to see up close what it looked like to be a serial successful entrepreneur or CEO. And so I went to work for him. I was his head of marketing and became his chief of, you know, kind of filled this sort of chief of staff role, kind of running the executive team meetings and got to see what it was like to be a CEO. And, and he's, he's a very effective one. And just, it built my confidence. You know, I, I I would watch him and think to myself, I can do what he's doing. I, I feel like I have the skills. And so just gaining that com confidence and comfort. And then when I went to quit, uh, Dave, you know, was the consummate entrepreneur. And he said, I'll keep you on the payroll for a couple months and give you a head start. And I'm proud of you and you've got this and you're going to go change the world. And so he gave me that kind of push and nudge that I think I probably needed. So um, yeah, I actually felt like I used the time productively. So what were the early days like? So obviously here you are, you give the notice, you have the head start, you know, you so nice that you got two months of payroll. Yeah. What did you do next? You know, Dave Morgan, the, the, the entrepreneur who I was working for, he said something to me, which was, you know, don't start anything right away. He said, I'm going to keep you on the payroll, but I want you to go and learn. Take your time. 
talk to as many smart people as you can, read as much as you can, um, and absorb yourself in the problem. Talk to, you know, start just rolling up your sleeves and supporting families and learning what it looks like, but don't actually start a business. And it was the best advice ever. I spent a good probably six to eight months in that learning discovery mode. And I was busy, you know, I was, I was booking full days, spending time with professors and CEOs and investors and people on all sides of the ecosystem and reading books on how the healthcare system works. You know, I didn't come from healthcare professionally, had a lot of experience personally. Um, but that time was invaluable. And, and Dave had said, you'll never get this time when you're building the business. And so take the time up front. And it was invaluable time. And so then when we started building the business, um, you know, we were really clear on what's the problem statement, where's our direction, what are kind of the avenues we want to pursue. And we had a lot of kind of um, structure and focus, potentially more so than maybe if we hadn't taken that time. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So I guess for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being wealthy? What is the business model? How do you guys make money? Oh, yeah. So the business is, you can think of us sort of like a care concierge. So virtual delivery model for supporting families with complex chronic and ongoing care. Um, so imagine, you know, you have a parent and they're dealing with, a chronic condition or aging-related issues, or you have a child with a complex care need, what we see is that it's very difficult, especially in the U.S., but this is a global issue, but it's very difficult to navigate and manage care. And so um, what we do is, you know, almost the same way you might work with a financial advisor, right? Someone who's that partner for you in not only providing guidance and expertise, but going and getting things done, setting things up. We do that for families um, with complex health care. Um, so understanding what the options are. So things like finding in-home aids or helping to make a move into a long-term care facility, navigating insurance options, uh, finding providers, um, scheduling appointments, you know, 
really everything in between. Um, and our business model is that we actually sell into and partner with employers for the most part, although we are working with health insurance companies as well. But companies cover the cost of wealthy as an employee benefit, which is truly a win-win. You know, so if you know, you can imagine if you have an employee who's dealing with complex care, they're missing work, they're distracted at work, they might even have to quit all their job altogether to be able to provide them with support and really help them set up infrastructure so that they can show up to work, be their best self, be their, you know, focused and productive. It's game changing. It's life changing for, for employees. And this is a topic that um, impacts women, people of color and people on the lower end of the in- income spectrum with more severity. And so especially for companies that talk and care a lot about DEI and attracting, retaining women, you know, the topic of care is, is you know, you can't, you can't ignore it. So here, not only you have the challenge of building a company from nothing, but then also building a category. How do you go about that? Yeah, I I love the question because I don't know that we set out to do that, um, but it's where we found ourselves. You know, the the category, you know, the care economy is valued at six trillion dollars. It's like massive, six times the size of the pharmaceutical industry. It's bigger than the GDPs of Germany and Japan, right? Like it's massive, the care economy. And care economy is all the stuff outside of the healthcare system, right? So it's like childcare and senior care. It's all the stuff that, um, you know, I think many people think of as kind of social issues, right? But it's actually valuable work. And so um, what we've really tried to do is raise awareness, raise urgency around the care topic. Listen, we have massive demographic shifts happening, especially over the next uh, several years and decades. Large aging population living longer than ever before with more complicated care needs. We have shrinking supply of care providers and professionals to support this massive aging population. And so we're setting ourselves up for really a very challenging societal impact that will impact all of us, every single one of us at some point. And so, yeah, you know, part of building wealthy was getting people to care about this larger caregiving issue and topic. And so, you know, we, we, we work hard, we're raising awareness of the larger topic and selling the value of wealthy kind of all at the same time. So it does feel like it's, um, you know, extra, extra work, but we're happy to do it, right? Like it's, we're very mission driven as a business. And so this is part of just having the impact we want to have. And how much capital have you raised to date? So we've raised just under $80 million, you know, through our, our series B and have a really diverse and wonderful set of investors, institutional investors and angels and, um, and some strategics as well. Now, how has it been? The experience of, uh, you know, being perhaps one of the only women in the room, you know, unfortunately, and that's changing, by the way, and I'm so glad that that's the case. Uh, but uh, I'm sure that raising money, you know, as a female founder was not easy. In the early days, it was really hard. It was really hard because we were talking about, first of all, a female founder, first time founder, and talking about a business that mostly solves a women's issue. So I would be in rooms and just, it was just the nature, you know, back in 2015, 2016, 2017, when we were raising seed 
see dollars. You know, I'd be in rooms with all men, by the way, mostly white men too. I mean, we've seen so much more diversity, which is great. Um, but it was really challenging because I would hear from men, you know, I would, I would pitch people on, on the business and they'd say to me like, yeah, it's a huge issue. You know, I see my wife, my wife, you know, my wife doesn't work. She's full-time taking care of her parents and it's really stressful and challenging for her. So it was very hard for kind of those, um, you know, traditional kind of white male investors to relate to the need and the problem. Um, and then just as a female founder, you know, it's hard for, hard for them to relate. It just, you know, I didn't resonate for sure. And, you know, they had to believe me and believe that there was a massive category and a massive opportunity, a massive TAM and that we could go execute. And it was hard. Um, and so we, yeah, we struggled in the early days. And then it was pretty amazing because things flipped pretty radically once we started just to get traction, where the story was less believing the vision and it was more, you know, showing our growth rate, showing our clients showing margin expansion, showing our ability to deliver on what we had said we were going to do. And then all of a sudden things got easier for us. And so I don't know what the lesson learned there is, but if you can persevere through those earlier stages, even if you're kind of a, you know, a unique or, you know, in a different segment or category or a different type of founder, um, you, you know, once you can prove traction, things do get easier. Now you were talking about vision there, and by the way, I'm 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 so excited that that you're saying that things get easier and that obviously things are changing too in the in the venture landscape. As the as a girl's dad myself, I have three three daughters, so uh, you know, hats off to you for paving the the way for for all the female founders out there. I guess you were talking about it earlier, you know, vision. You know, quick question there: If you were to go to sleep tonight, Lindsay, and you wake up in a world where the vision of wealthy is fully realized? What does that world look like? There's, there's this future state of wealthy that is everybody has access to a wealthy. And by the way, it doesn't have to be wealthy. It could be a competitor by all means. But everybody has access to essentially a healthcare partner, healthcare advocate, you know, in the legal system, we see you know, everybody has access to a public defender, right? If you're if you're dealing with a legal issue, even if you can't afford to hire a lawyer, and so there's a similar concept here. I do believe that everybody deserves support and help navigating care through a complex care situation, and um, to be fully realized, I'd love to see every single, not just American, by the way, and this is not just an American issue. The American system is uniquely complex, but we see care challenges around the world and, you know, shifting, shifting demographics and families struggling. So uh, we'd love to see everybody having access to a solution like ours. So, Lindsay, you're a, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a friend to many too. How do you balance it? You know, because obviously here you are riding a rocket ship you know, which is not easy. So how do you go about balancing all of these balls up in the air at the same time? It's really hard. I mean, I, um, I hear people talk about balance and I just don't think that there's, <laughs> I don't know that I've cracked the code on balance. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, becoming a mom and having a family and going through care has 
taught me how to be just um, fiercely protective of my time with work. So, um, you know, I try to be really structured with my days, you know, doing meetings during certain times. And I have hours of my night that I do catch up in emails. Um, but I work fewer hours than I did before having a family, certainly on the business. And so it means that the time that I do work has to be bigger impact. And so, yeah, there's certain things that I just don't get to. And I have to be just really focused on prioritizing and getting to the right stuff at work. I think that's just the reality. I just work fewer hours, but I work probably, I would argue, higher quality hours than I used to when I didn't have to kind of focus and prioritize so much. And then, yeah, family fills my, family and friends fill my fill my cup. And so I make time and I love it. And it makes me feel like when I do, when I am present at work, I'm more present than just, you know, fully devoting myself to work. So I do highly recommend it. I think there's this concept that um, entrepreneurship is for the young and childless and single. And um, I'd argue, I think there's a lot of benefit to, um, you know, having a family. And, and, And by the way, it makes me relate to my colleagues who have families and complex personal lives, um, probably better than I could before, before when I was a single, you know, entrepreneur. I hear you. Now, we've been talking too about the future, but I want to talk about the past, but doing so with a lens of reflection. So imagine I was to put you into a time machine Mm -hmm. and I bring you back in time. I bring you back in time to perhaps the moment where you obviously had this idea already brewing and you knew you were eventually going to do something about it. Uh, but you have you did not take action yet, but you were about to do so. And let's say you are now able to just go right there next to your younger self, to that younger Lindsay, and, and you're able to give that younger self one piece of advice. What would that be and why, given what you know now, which is almost 10 years in, which is unbelievable? <laughs> I think I would tell myself, um, it's, it sounds so stupid, but I just not to sweat the small stuff. You know, it's funny, like those early days, you know, you, every rejection, every, you know, employee who doesn't work out, every kind of smaller decision point feels so big. Um, and, and so meaningful in those early days. And, um, I think I would just try to tell myself to, I mean, there's just so many ups and downs every single minute of every single day in building a company. And I've just learned over time how to weather those ups and downs much better. So they don't impact me and I can be kind of calm and steady through whatever kind of happens with the business. But yeah, I struggled with that in those early days, you know, feeling, cause Building wealthy was so personal to me. You know, it was my life's work. It was what I was put on this planet to do. And so, you know, an investor who told me you'll never make it, you know, that would impact me and penetrate. And so I wish I could uh, have thicker skin and not sweat the small stuff and know that it would just put my head down, do the work, and it'll all work out. And how 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 do you go up? Because I mean, it's it's obviously easier said than done. And and it's really profound what you're sharing here. You know, the ups and the downs. Obviously, the ups are amazing, but the downs are, my God, they can be really low. So I guess after being, you know, for close to 10 years, as we were saying, you know, riding this ship, what have you really 
learned about yourself or, or, or really learned about being with whatever moment or event or low, you know, that you had in front of you? How, how do you, how, what have you learned in that, in that journey of discovering yourself too? I think it's just perspective, right? Like, you know, being, you know, through the journey of wealthy, I lost my mom. I lost my mother-in-law. I got married, had a baby, you know? And so like, you know, I think sometimes when you're in the kind of, you know, in the weeds of building a company, it's harder to see kind of the bigger picture and some, you know, so much I think of what I've gone through over the years, personally and professionally has just given me bigger perspective on what really matters. And so it's the day to days, the day to day ups and downs aren't as meaningful as kind of those, you know, I, I have better perspective on what's really important, you know, personally and, and with the business, those moments that actually matter versus, you know, the things that will, you know, just time will heal and we'll move on. And I think just time and perspective um, helps with those things. I love that. So Lindsay, for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Oh, please do. Yeah, I'm at Lindsay at Wealthy. And um, emails always good for me. Um, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at W-E-L-L-T-H-Y dot com. Reach out, please. I'd love to connect. Easy enough. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So much fun. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.